And now is the hard part. You have to put up with me. After all that beauty and adorableness, you're stuck with me. So please give me just a few minutes of your time before we're done with our service this morning. We're going to read a very familiar passage in just a moment, but before we get there, I just want to say, isn't that glorious? There's something about the voices of children that just get our attention in a different way, and to hear kids singing hallelujah uh, brings us past, well, the stuff that's on my shirt right now, to what it is that we really are gathered, and why we are gathered. Uh, It's not just for a concert, it's not just to see the cute kids, but it's to adore the one who is worthy, right? Amen? So we put our focus, our attention on him this morning. Last week, Pastor Danny started a series that we've called God With Us, and we looked at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we were confronted with this very simple truth that it actually took place. Jesus came, he was born, fulfilled ancient prophecies that, that were spoken centuries before his birth. And what we are a part of this morning, the church centered, focused on the gospel, the good news of Jesus, had a starting point with Jesus being born. So uh, this morning, we turn our attention to Luke's gospel account of what took place leading up to and including the birth of Jesus. So let's look at that together this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Many of us, perhaps all of us, have heard that passage maybe hundreds if not thousands of times, right? If you've ever watched the Charles Schultz Peanuts special, you've heard that passage. So you probably don't have to be in a church somewhere to be familiar with that account in Luke chapter 2. Countless programs everywhere draw attention to something that happened in ancient times that is important for us to consider this morning. Now, what many of us picture when we read this passage has been a very typical, maybe even stereotypical understanding of what took place, what we just read about. I'll give you an image here to consider. Joseph and Mary on a donkey, alone, walking the dirty streets of Bethlehem miles from home, an angry innkeeper at the door, uh, prompted by the knocking of Joseph, confronts Joseph and Mary. An argument begins. Uh, there's no room, and he shakes his finger at them, right? Uh, Maybe you've seen this portrayed in movies. Uh, I know I have. And then the real argument begins. Joseph is caught in the moment. He's not prepared. He forgot to call ahead or to book online, right? And then he, he forgot. He didn't make plans 
with a very pregnant Mary on a donkey on his journey. It's nightfall. It's getting cold out. Joseph is stuck. Oh, Mary, I don't know what to do next. And what is Mary's response? Fine. <laughs> Whatever. I expected as much. It's not like I'm about ready to give birth or anything, right? So what are they stuck with? They're stuck with that dirty stable where the animals are. And it's probably pretty nasty, right? The smell of animal excrement fills the air. Not exactly incense, okay? And uh, animals are around, the, the hay is there. And then suddenly, according to the stereotypical traditional understanding, out of nowhere, shepherds walk in as if on cue, right? And then from the other side, wise men walk in as if on another cue. And then suddenly the baby begins to glow in this heavenly light, right? All, all around us, perfectly organized and orchestrated uh, understanding of what happened. Now, probably didn't happen that way. Now, here's a better way to picture what went on. Another way to understand that word in. And most translations use that word in. A better way to understand it is a guest room. And here's why. Luke uses the exact same word later on when the disciples are looking for a place to gather to celebrate the Passover. They look for what Luke tells us is a guest room. So here's probably a more accurate scenario. And I say probably, I wasn't there. Luke doesn't give us all the details, but probably more accurate is this. Joseph and Mary, they do the journey. They meet up with family or friends uh, and connect there in Bethlehem. And since most homes were small, there were probable, probably multiple families, extended families are getting to know each other, the fist pump, the high five, whatever, in this probably very simple, small home. Joseph and Mary are crammed, probably uncomfortably, into a space that we'd call the guest room along with others. If this is the case, then Mary goes into labor, and then what? You're in a tiny room in a tiny house with a woman giving birth right there. So they probably leave that crowded space uh, and then go to an adjacent room that we could also probably call a barn, because if you're a simple, uh, on the poorer end of the spectrum family, then the animals, the livestock, were either in your home or right next to your home. So they probably did get, remove themselves from all the chaos of all the people, and there she gave birth, and there would have been a manger, there would have been a feeding trough because animals are present, so there went the baby. Now, this account, which is probably more accurate, doesn't need an angry innkeeper. We don't know exactly what the space looked like, or uh, you know, what Mary was saying or what Joseph was saying or if they had an argument or, or not. Th those details, uh, although may be kind of fun to speculate on, they don't really matter. What matters is that we understand clearly that Jesus, the one and only Son of God, equal to the Father, came to us in Bethlehem centuries ago, poor, humble, and yes, even an average, everyday person. The humble king of kings was born into existence in a very common and ordinary life. Now, that's very important for us this morning as we consider his incarnation, important for us to understand, and here's why. 
Number one, Jesus came to be with us as a common, ordinary person to reach common, ordinary people like you and me. Yep, I'm putting us all in one big, common, ordinary pot this morning, okay? To be ordinary, normal, common, average, okay? Is it something that most of us, if we had to tell the truth, are longing to aspire to? We don't like it. And I don't like, you know, I don't appreciate being called normal or common or ordinary. It rubs most of us the wrong way. To be noticed as outstanding in some way, you know, doesn't matter what your temperament or your personality is, but to notice even something that I've done as outstanding or exceptional, at least above average, is where I'd like to be. Jennifer and I went and saw a movie this past week. We don't get out very often, so it's kind of a big deal. The movie is called The Holdovers. That's a picture of Paul Giamatti. He's the, one of the main characters in the movie. He plays a prep school history teacher in the early 1970s who never went on to the next level of teaching. He never had that impressive university position that it would be kind of expected if you're good, then you're going to excel and, and move on, right? He never had that. He never did the writing that he kind of longed to maybe someday do. He never visited foreign places like important people on faculty do at some point in their career. All these things are things that he's only dreamed of. And in one scene in particular that got my attention, Giamatti's character, he's he's walking through this commons area of Boston. He's with a student. That's a holdover idea. They had no place to go for Christmas, so they're holdovers, but they took this field trip in Boston. So he and his student are walking through his common areas, and then suddenly, to their surprise, Giamatti's character, he he runs into a former student. Now, he's been teaching for over 20 years at this prep academy. So this former, the student who was a high schooler is now somewhere in adulthood, and he runs into this man with his wife, and they begin this conversation that obviously is a surprise, it's not ready for. So this former student goes on to describe his very impressive life, how he's gone on from that prep school beginning to uh, attain all these advanced levels of importance, of significance. He's gone to an impressive Ivy League school. He's gone, he's gone on to have this uh, impressive uh, career in teaching, and he's traveled, and he's got his earned doctorate, and he's written different books, and, and he's got this impressive wife who also has this pedigree of Ivy League importance and significance, and, and they go on, and, just, and you see Giamatti's face as he's listening to how impressive their lives are, right? And then there's this pause, and the, the former student looks at him, so how have you been? What have you been doing? Oh. And he's such a good actor. You just see it fall across his face. He's stuck in the same job that he's had for over 20 years, dealing with the same snot-nosed brats that don't want to do their homework on time, that kind of stuff. So he's he's in this moment. Maybe you've been in a moment, right, where all of a sudden you're on the spot, and what do you do? So what does he say? He lies. What does he lie about? What's the easiest thing to lie about in a moment like that? to start talking about all the things you wish you would have done as if you did them. 
And it just comes pouring out of his mouth how, yes, he, he taught there for a while, but now he's gone on. He's, he's at the university. Uh, he's working on this writing project, and he's done these overseas uh, expensive and interesting trips with students, and on and on he pours out. And the student next to him, the other holdover, he's looking at him like, I've never expected this guy to lie so brazenly like that. And he just pours out of him. So this former student, oh, no, that's good. Well, we're going to move on. Have happy holidays. He walks on. He hears a bunch of lies. And what does Giamatti's character do? He walks away with the guilt. What did I just do? He's, they have this honor code. You don't tell lies at his school. And right, before, right in front of his student, he does nothing but tell lies. Our, our circumstances if too ordinary for our liking, can quickly lead to discontent, which opens the door to a whole host of other sins. Discontent binds us uh, and even blinds us to what it is that we actually do have that we all of a sudden forget about and can lead us down a path of what can turn out to be endless striving after fantasies that never truly satisfy. We, as human beings, are perpetual strivers, constantly trying to establish ourselves and our lives as something special, something out of the ordinary. I'm here to tell you that at some level, none of us, none of us want to become. None of us want to be ordinary. None of us want to be stuck in that position for the rest of our lives. Jesus meets us, and as Scripture tells us, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. So let me tell you, he sympathizes with every weakness. Now, sometimes we, uh, we hear something like that, and we, we focus on sins and temptations, and yet he, he was tempted in every way, right? But not just the sins and the temptations and above the fold kind of bad stuff. Jesus knows our every weakness. He knows deep into our hearts in that place that we'd like to be something else and discontentment has sunk in and bound us to something that we never intended to be bound to. Jesus knows that too. So beginning at that place, we are reminded this morning that God is with us. He doesn't avoid. He doesn't ignore. He addresses those dark places, and he comes to be with us so that we won't, what? We won't be ordinary anymore. How in the world does he do that? Jesus came to be with us as a common, ordinary person to reach common, ordinary people. And number two, Jesus came to save us, changing us from ordinary to extraordinary. Now, who's ever seen something like this before? Pop up on your phone, on your laptop, on your, on your work computer, whatever. The software license agreement. Everybody's seen that, right? Now, it used to be, I remember, it used to have to actually scroll to the bottom before you click, uh, I agree. No one, as far as I know, does that anymore. You look at that, and then right away at the bottom of the screen, or maybe you have to scroll a little bit, and you can quickly click, I agree. What in the world are you agreeing to? 
You, we, if you click, if you don't read the fine print, whatever your software agreement, you have no idea what it is that you just agreed to. Tell the truth, right? Think about that. To think what you just agreed to in this corporate giant and what it is that they now control of your information and whatever it is you're doing with. I'm trying to scare you at this moment. I'm, I'm frightening you, okay? The big corporate bad guy is taking over your life. You just signed over your firstborn. Probably not. They probably don't want your firstborn. But you don't know what it is that you agree with until you what? Until you read the whole thing and maybe it's not so filled with legalese you can actually understand at least part of it, right? What is it that we're missing when we quickly click and move on? Probably an awful lot. Same thing is true about your relationship with Scripture and what it is that God has revealed to you and I as if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you just quickly pass over, ignore, forget, get on with your life, if you ignore what's going on in here, you're simply clicking, I agree. To what? If you don't read it, you don't know it. You don't have any clue of what is going on that God is describing about your new extraordinary relationship with him. If you don't know, you don't know. But it's revealed in his word. So let me give you the bookends here. According to John, first passage, John's gospel, many times we read a little bit out of John chapter 1 when it comes to Christmas time. That's an ordinary common thing that we do. There's part of it right there, John 1, 12, verses 12 through 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, if you quickly click I agree, you will miss the significance of what it is, believer, you have been changed into. God looked at you in your ordinary, who cares, a blip on the historical screen circumstance and says, I choose you to be in my family, child of God. You are radically changed from the very start. That's the one end, okay? That's one book end. But John goes on. So in 1 John, his, his uh, epistle writings, he says this about what happens on the other end of your life experience. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, we are, we are God's children now. We've already established that. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, Take note and be careful how you read it. He doesn't say we'll be him. He doesn't say we'll be gods or mini-gods or demigods or some kind of God kind of feature. He doesn't say that, but he does say we will be like him, like Jesus, like God. Let that blow your mind for a moment. Now, that's a, it's a fun thing for theologians to talk about because he doesn't specify exactly how we'll be like him, but many things about our life, about our eternal existence, about the body we have will be regenerate, regenerated, renewed. I believe it, even the dimensions that we see and are locked into and, and the, the, what we can experience, the 3D, 4D dimensions that we know of, I believe that will be gone. Uh, maybe many more things that will be gone uh, in our experience throughout the rest of eternity because why? We'll be made like him and we'll see him as he is. 
Can you just believe her? Just pause for a moment and close your eyes and imagine what it would be like to see the living Savior. The scars are still there. He reaches out and welcomes you in and says, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives you the prom- all the promises that have been believed by faith suddenly become reality. And you see them and you experience them and you know them. That's the other bookend. If you don't pause to stop and read scripture, you have no idea, believer, who you actually are and what it is that your destination is. That ought to warm our hearts, that ought to motivate us to be something that is extraordinary because you are extraordinary because of Jesus Christ. One more thing this morning. Jesus came to be with us. Jesus came to save us. And Jesus, number three, came to finish the Father's work through us if we will join him in it. One more passage, Ephesians chapter 2. Love Ephesians chapter 2. If you haven't read it recently, go back and read it. It fills in the bookends, okay, and what it is and who we are and, and, and how we've been set free, what defines us. It's by God's grace, by faith, that we understand who we are and, and that we come, become new believers. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, one thing that reminds me of, I can't screw it up because God is so sovereign and so wonderful and so gracious and so powerful that even in my weaknesses and in my failures, God still knows what he's doing and he still has control of it. So I can't screw it up. He's prepared beforehand. The only thing I can do is begin to realize what he is doing and for some ridiculous, ignorant reason, try to push back and say, you know what, I really don't want that kind of life. I really don't want what you have. I don't want the blessings of knowing that I am a, um, an active, productive, obedient follower of Jesus. No, I don't want that. I'd rather just mess around with the things of this earth that are going to die and, and be corrupt and blow away anyway. No, I'd, I'd choose that. It's, how ridiculous is that? Let that sink in. We are as workmanship created for something to do that you can't go wrong in. You can't blow it. God's got this. That is what we are in the edge of this morning. So let me give you something to, to think about. Giamatti, he made up the lie. He made up the stuff that, you know, he would have rather have done. What if this, this morning, what if, as a child of God, you don't have to lie to somebody about what it is that you're doing? or what it is that you've accomplished for Christ? What if you start doing those things that you wished you would have done last year? What are they? I don't know what you're thinking about right now, but I hope you're thinking about something. Is it giving more of your time, of your talents, of your resources? Because you think back, and no, I really could have done more. Well, what stopped you? Why not this year? Why not today? Maybe it's not giving, maybe it's serving. Maybe it's discovering more of what it is that you're gifted in. You have my permission to throw the doors open and go for it, because you can't go wrong. I don't know what it is. I'm too common, I'm too ordinary. I was trying to find a perfect illustration of somebody in history that was super common and ordinary and plain and boring. All I could think of is myself. Now, 
I am from the middle of nowhere, Iowa. I am from, I'm a farm kid. I never did anything exceptional. I never got a 4.0. I am, I am your common, ordinary, straight B student, okay? That's, that describes my existence. Some of you are already repulsed. Oh, I, why do we allow him to preach if he's just a B student? That's me. I did, my life is so ordinary and common, okay? If God can use me, what is your excuse? You, you don't have one. You don't have to make anything up. God is for us. He's for you. What can be against you? Nothing. What if you started trying, experimenting, taking another step of faith, starting today, going into this new year? What if you actually did that? And this time next year, you could look back and say, oh man, that was the time, that was the moment. I have more to praise God for because I feel all the more released released to experience and to know and to step forward in faith. That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for you. You are not ordinary. You are extraordinary. If you're looking to read something right now, I'll close with this. I just grabbed um, a new book on discipleship. There are 18 million books on discipleship, but I really like this one. It's called this, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. And it's written by a seminary uh, um, professor, uh, Jared Wilson in his name. I've read some of his other books. They're really great. Let me say it one more time. The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. At one point, I think chapter two, I can't remember, uh, Wilson calls religious, he, he mentions our lives right now in this way, religious business not as usual, but as unusual. Let me say that again. If you've been stuck in kind of an ordinary, usual flow as a follower of Christ, and you're kind of tired of that, great, so am I. Make this year not religious business as usual, but as un be an unusual. I love how he says that. Be an unusual follower of Christ this year, and let's rejoice in where that takes us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for laying aside all of your glory, as Philippians 2 tells us, and becoming the most humble, ordinary, common little baby in the middle of nowhere to reach us in our deepest need. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to become children of the living God. Lord Jesus, even now, work in us. Holy Spirit, reveal and renew and refresh our desire to be extraordinary as you define it, as you empower it. Open our eyes to see what it is you have before us. Make our ears quick to hear and listen and understand your truth, your word, and how it needs to shape us and form us. Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We repent in those ways where we've settled for less. Lord Jesus, make us outstanding people because of you in us. Renew us and refine us, Lord, so you can do even greater things through us. The work that you set aside, do it, Lord. We join in it. In Jesus' name, amen.